People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Speaking coach, consultant, and author Gail Larson is our guest today. Gail is the creator of a proven program that liberates the speaker within and transforms even the reluctant orator into an agent of change. Her method is a remarkably powerful way to build leadership skills that effectively integrates inner healing and transformation with practical skill building. Gail is the founder of Real Speaking and also the award-winning author of Transformational Speaking. If you want to change the world, tell a better story. Welcome to Health Gig, Gail. It's so nice to see you, Gail. Thank you. We're so happy you could join us today. And we have so much to talk about. Trisha and I have loved researching you and transformational speaking. We didn't know a lot about it. Tell us how you got into the world of transformational speaking. And really, what is it? Well, for me, transformational speaking is speaking in a way that really catalyzes the kind of change we'd like to see in the world. My subtitle of my book is, If You Want to Change the World, Tell a Better Story. And how it evolved really goes back to my early story, which was not having a voice in a family where it was kind of a straight and narrow path. And finding over time that there were things that were not on that path that I wanted to explore and express. And so my professional life, quite by accident, maybe it's by a grand design we don't see, put me in the world of speaking. As a young woman, I won an award, the first woman to be the Tennessee Small Business Man of the Year. Based on a women's career convention, I had designed that attracted 4,000 women. So it was a time a lot of voices were emerging. And I was behind the scenes doing something that had heart and meaning, And because of the success of it and the visibility, people asked me to speak. And I was terrified. For me, speaking was like, do I really have to do this? But, you know, because I was young, I was in my early 30s, there was something, I think, captivating about the story and how this evolved. But the more I studied speaking skills, the worse I got telling the story. (laughs) It's like there's so much that's prescribed around how we are to speak that it took away the spontaneity and fun and presence that's available to us if we're not editing and rehearsing ourselves into oblivion. Later, because I joined the National Speakers Association to up my game, I got really enamored by the world of speaking. And I sold my business in Tennessee and moved to Arizona to be the first full-time executive vice president of the Worldwide Speakers Association. And I got to see everything in the world of speaking, front row seat for the greatest speakers in the world. And it started me on that journey of thinking, what really matters? What's a good performance and what really creates change? So what evolved for me was working later with speakers on their marketing and having people wanting me to do a program, which really brought me back into who we really are as opposed to how we want to be seen in the world. 
So it's been wonderful to develop a way for people to trust who they are and bring their original gifts to the speaking world rather than think there's some way to do it that we don't know. And that's what most speaking training would suggest. And you talk a lot about how it's important to be authentic, right? That it's really important to be authentic. But when Dora and I were preparing for this, we're like, well, how do you teach authenticity? Or or is it something that you train someone to become authentic? Or how does that work? I think we look for the places where we are authentic. In the work that I do, we have rather long partner exercises that ask the deeper questions that get us to the heart of who we are being witnessed by someone else. Then that person who we call an important stranger because it's someone you don't know yet, gives you the reflection of who you truly are at your essence, as opposed to who we are when we're in performance. And so it's a journey of trusting ourselves. It's here. I mean, I know we all have places in our life where we feel real and where we can be authentic. And the question is, why do we think when we're speaking or doing anything in our professional lives that we have to shut that down? It's actually the greatest gift we have to bring. So I I feel like the work helps us trust who we are and through that trust become more expressive and real instead of hiding it because we're supposed to show up in a certain way. And when we get there, then we get to the message that really can bring a better story to our world in these pretty critical times. I wish I'd met you a long time ago because I've had to do public speaking in my life. And the first time I gave a speech, I was in my 20s and I said two things and then burst out crying and sat down. So it didn't go very well. Well, you know what? We should explain that because you were asked to come and talk about your dad, right? Yeah. You were young and you were standing in front of a whole lots of people. And it was just because in preparing again with you, Gail, Yodoro had nothing but love for her dad and you could not convey it. Right. Is that what happened? (laughs) It was like overwhelming, you know, and I was so proud of him and I just adore him and I couldn't even get the words out. Plus, I was extremely nervous. So put those two things together and it was a collision that was not pretty. I have heard you use the term original medicine. So what does that mean? And how could I have found my original medicine in in that moment and going forward? Well, you know, it's interesting. Could you have done it in your 20s? What is it? It's an indigenous teaching that says we all come with gifts and talents that are nowhere else duplicated or one of a kind. And the second part of the teaching is if we don't express that medicine, it's lost to the world for all time. And in teaching it over years and helping people discover their medicine, I also recognize that if we don't express it, we get sick. If we are not aligned with our true expression in the world, we're not going to have the kind of vibrant health and experience that we'd love to have. Do you mean just in general, not just speaking? You mean just in general? In general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, our medicine is how we show up at our best no matter where we are, not simply on a speaking platform. 
but we need to call on it more and be aware of it more when we're speaking because that can be a time of stress and fear. And do I dare to bring all of myself and what I know and believe to this experience? I love the teaching from my teacher, Angelus Arian. And what I did over time was create a process where people could name their medicine so that it wasn't simply, oh, that's good to know I've got this, but what is it I bring to the planet that is original, that when I remind myself of that, I can shine totally and bring that gift forward. So I think it's, a, it's recognizing it. It's a, it's a conscious act. You know, it's not our resume. It's not our list of accomplishments or I'm detail-oriented or I'm visionary. It's two or three words that encapsulate something that resonates inside of us. It's just like a deep breath of recognition of who we really are. And then it can become something we remind ourselves of in those moments of stress and anxiety. And can I do this? I will say that one time a colleague, when I lived in Phoenix, asked me to be part of a initiation process she was creating for 13-year-old girls. And I'd led them through the original medicine questions and reflection from another person. And it cracked me up when they said, if only I'd known this sooner. <laughs> At 13? Yeah, 13. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, I think we can get it at any time. But I think we need someone, an elder in our life, who says you, it isn't about marching in lockstep with everyone else. It's about really recognizing that your differences are your gift. And when we encourage that and people can trust themselves, I think we'd have a very different world. I think that's really true because I know that the person that tells me what I'm good at is Trisha. She and I work together. And so we know each other intimately and she'll say, Dora, you're so good at this. And hopefully I do the same for her. You do. Because we don't trust ourselves. In my case, I grew up with an ethic of it's not good to talk about yourself or it's, you know, focus on the other person. We often can't be our best advocate, really. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we understand how much people need that reflection of our gifts. And there's a study that one of my clients told me about that because of our fight or flight makeup, when someone criticizes us or tells us something that's wrong, we are in one second in a defensive mode, or what was that? But it takes 15 seconds to let in the good that we hear. So that would suggest we need at least 15 times more good input to find a balance, to find that inner trust, and we don't get it. So it's quite a process of courage to ask for the good reflections and from people we know see us yeah, and aren't going to denigrate us. So let's say you do know your gifts and talents and the things that make you unique and authentic, but you still have a big fear of speaking in public. How do you deal with that? The way I work with people is to coach them on telling their story 
because our stories aren't scripted. Every time we tell a story, we tell it in a different way. And what I'm interested in is how people are home with themselves. Usually in speaking, we want a comfort zone. Can I do this? Can I get through it? Can I deliver what I'm here to say? Comfort zone is very professional. We need it. It's our credentials. It's our information. It's how we structure it. It shows that we're credible and that an audience can trust us. But it's pretty forgettable. You know, it's just standard speaking. I call it the home zone. And our stories are what enliven that. And our stories are also what emotionally connects us with ourselves so we can connect with an audience. So I begin with working with stories. I don't even try to put together a presentation because a new presentation will arise based on what we've learned in our life journey from our stories and from the expansive sense we have as we're willing to be more authentic. So it's a, a beautiful process to watch people recognize that they do have something and their way of bringing it that matters. And then there's the embodiment that comes through, not just talking from our heads, but feeling a story as we tell it. So we get more comfortable with embodying our words, not just what am I saying next, but oh, it's coming naturally because I know this. And it's going to be different every time so it doesn't get old and rote. So there are breathing exercises that can get us home. There are actually some, a few speaking skills that can get us home. One is to slow down. Stop a sentence. Let your feelings catch up with what you're saying so that you're present with it. And when you hit something where there's an unexpected emotion, like talking about your father, go deeper. Oh boy, I didn't really realize how emotional I was going to be in this moment. But it's because I love him so much. You know, instead of, oh gosh, I blew it. It's like, actually, you found it. You found that deeper level of expression that people connect with. Wow. So you're almost saying that when you're learning to speak the way you're teaching to speak, it is all about knowing who you are and being with you in that present moment. It's sort of a practice. And, you know, I think you spoke to the challenge of that. Like, what does my story matter? Yeah. I should be listening to others. Mm -hmm. I, you know, stepping back. But as a speaker, we step forward and our story and what we've learned from our life journey is the best thing we've got. It's the most believable, credible thing we've got. Mm. So what I see in working with people is as the stories are told and the wisdom emerges, there's just a greater self-trust of who we are. And I work with groups of six so if you don't believe it for yourself, you see it being manifested with someone else and how compelling and unforgettable it is. And it gives us a different experience of the value of what we, of what our life has prepared us to say. The question about storytelling. When I tell a story, I end up exaggerating. <laughs> so Gail, 
how do you teach storytelling? And is there an art to telling a story? Yes. And, you know, lots of times people can teach storytelling where it becomes then another process and another prescribed way of doing it. To me, the art is being comfortable and home with ourselves, being in our home zone, because then we can surprise ourselves in the moment and it's fresh and it's new. So one thing I've learned by trusting the moment and being home is that I'll say something I've never said before. And it will surprise me, where did that come from? But because I'm reliving a story instead of retelling it, I don't really know what moments will show up. But when I surprise myself that way, the other surprise is invariably, someone from the audience will come up and say, you know that thing you said? That was exactly what I needed right now. So I really do trust the home zone and what arises and wants to be spoken as opposed to what we plan. So I just like to find your home zone, not what I think a good storyteller is. Because when you're home, you're a good storyteller. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have it's exaggerated. And sometimes to get home, we need to stretch. I was coaching someone in my online group yesterday because I always ask people to find a voice they've silenced that brings them alive. Because who knows what our true voice is? We've been so put into boxes our whole lives. What's real? So it's not like we have one voice. We have multiple voices. And so this woman from the UK who's very contained was working with the voice of a harsh schoolmaster. The words were great, but there wasn't this other voice. And I said, okay, I want you to say that message like you were an evangelist. You know, how would the evangelist say that? And so we can stretch ourselves by coming up with different ways. You know, how would the teacher say that? How would the evangelist say it? How would the visionary say it? It's really a fun, playful exercise to stretch our expression and our physical movement as we do it. Our body remembers the story. Our body knows every detail, but we've got to let our body be part of our presence and our being with people or it can't speak. And then our minds go crazy. That's where the fear comes from. That does sound fun. So in your retreats, do you do a lot of that role playing where you do your speech as if you're a teacher and then you do your speech as if you're a general or something? Well, you do a minute of it so you feel what it feels like. Because what we're wanting is to be freer. You know, we just don't want to be stuck in this box of how it is and how we are. There's so much inside us that if we allow it freedom and we trust it, it just becomes a very different experience of speaking. I think we are in times where, boy, we need our voices. And we need our full hearts for the kinds of challenges we're facing on this planet. And ultimately, when we trust our medicine and our message that we get very clear about, if I had one minute to speak, what would I say? When we recognize the significance and importance of our voice, there's no place to be afraid. An audience wants someone who's alive and present and bringing it, not 
gee, can I do this thing? I mean, it's just a whole different experience of showing up. Gil, if you had your one minute, can you tell us it right now? Show us what it looks like? Yeah, we can get it into something as short as if you want to change the world, tell a better story. Then it becomes almost our tagline, like it was on my book. Mm -hmm. But my one minute is, hey, your voice matters. We need every voice to mend and tend the web of life so we can have a world that works for all people and for all of life. That's what I care most about. Trisha, what's your one minute? Well, I don't know. Can you do yours first? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. My one minute would be, Just be kind, be loving, find peace, and take life's challenges, knowing that life is ever-changing, and just don't react and be calm. Mm, Mm. That's good. That's good. Mine is kind of going off on the trust thing. Just know that that inner voice or that inner trust, it is there. And it's hard sometimes to trust that it's there, but just know that it's there. And if we all can accept the fact that sometimes we don't think it's there, but maybe as sometimes Dora and I talk about like fake it till you get it, fake it, just know it's there. I don't know. That's how I'm feeling today. Yeah. And we get to it after three days of Mm -hmm. storytelling and process because a lot is stirred up Mm -hmm. and then it becomes really specific and clear And knowing that is the only way we can develop a talk. Mm. You know, we got a whole lifetime of experience. What are we going to draw from? But when we know the message that we want to deliver and everything we say supports that message and nothing else, the superfluous can fall away. So every story we tell shows that message in action. Every word we speak is that message. Our call to action is to put that message out in the world in a way that it lives. It all starts flying in formation. Mm. So it's a very organic process rather than stand up and give a speech and let's fix you. It's like, let's find you underneath all this and what you can bring that's unique to your gift. I love that. Tricia, we have some honing to do. We have a lot of honing (laughs) to do. But we're getting there. She said that it sometimes takes three days. Okay. It's easier to name it in three days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But tell us about your workshops and retreats. And I think they're in Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. And tell us what people can sign up for and how they work and all that kind of thing. So it's a four day immersion for just six people. We do meet here in Santa Fe. We have a lovely presidential suite at a hotel that allows us to be comfortable. Because if we're going to get home, we better be feel home. and be comfortable. And it's always six important strangers that feel like they're together by design, even if they don't know each other. And it unfolds. I mean, I have been doing this work for 21 years. And I never did anything for more than four or five years because I got bored. But when you get to see people in their truth and their expression and hear the stories, it's never old. So the process doesn't change, but the excitement and specifics that each person bring are just so diverse that it never ceases to amaze me how much we hold within ourselves that's ready to be expressed. And the joy in doing that in community, 
I do private coaching. I call it 911, you know, it's an <laughs> SOS for a speech. And it's helpful, but there's nothing like being in this space of exploration to really look at how our life has prepared us to speak to what matters. I call it getting out of jet lag and catching up with who you've become. We tend to move so fast. This is an opportunity to, to let all that fly information and bring forward what really matters to you now. That reminds me of what you hear people say often, which is, I don't even know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the experience of your retreats would be an opportunity to speak um, and tell your stories, but also figure out really who you are and what's important to you. Who you've become, mm. you know, who we've become in this journey. And so that's why we take three days. That third evening, you're developing a new talk, but you're not scripting it. You're storyboarding it. It's your key ideas to give you a structure, but it allows you to be free within the structure and also very consciously and deliberately take your audience where you want them to go. And so it always is a call to action. What do you want people to do? Because you did this thing. You know, if you're going to put your energy and your life force into speaking, what would you like to see happen? So we ask an audience to consider that. You want to leave them on a high note so that they're inspired and will do it. Not go down to the morgue and say, we're ready because the world's a mess. <laughs> but how can I show up in this grand design on the planet right now and have it matter? So it's fun. And I always call that talk. It's a 20-minute talk on day four. It's witnessed by everyone in the group with feedback because they've gotten to know you now. And they could say, oh, I missed that piece, or I didn't quite understand that piece. But I always call it a rough draft in front of your new best friends, <laughs> because it's never finished. Right. I think what I saw in the early days of speaking 40 years ago was the motivational speakers that always gave the same talk. I went to hear Paul Harvey. Remember Paul Harvey? Oh, yeah. Now's the rest of the story. <laughs> And I was going to see him again at a conference three weeks later, and I was so excited I was going to hear him again. And it was the same talk. And it's like, oh. And they used to say at the National Speakers Association, it's much easier to get a new audience than to develop a new talk. So it will always hold that core message. There'll always be the story in your life that brings that message alive for your audience that you include. But there's so much more going on when we're home instead of scripted that it's always fresh and new. This is so fascinating. Oh, really, Gail. Can we ask you a personal question? We understand you're, you're a plant eater. You're vegan. Is that right? I've been pretty much vegan until I got my vaccine and then I needed to eat some meat to get my energy back. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I would say I am... 90% vegan. Two and a half years ago, my doctor telling me I needed to take a drug for diabetes, I said, I'm going to work on it with diet. And she said, you're too old to change what? it. And those were fighting words for me. And I went to McDougal's 10-day program to change my diet. But because I went on the plan 
a month before I went. When I got there, my A1C was already normal. Wow. It was a wow. Yeah. I knew it worked, and I knew it was a way to control my, my numbers, and it was an easier way to do it. Yeah, it's such a good testimony. It's amazing what changing your diet can do. So true. So true. God, Gail, this was amazing. Thank you for coming on Health Gig and sharing so much with us. I know Dora and I are both really inspired by you. Yes, we are. Thank you, Gail. Thank you. What a joy to be with you. And thank you for the beautiful questions and being fully present and having your voice matters. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.